Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time at the Ben Jarowski Show. As I speak, it's Friday, February 3rd, 2023. Lord knows when you're listening to this. Here's a story that's breaking the news today. Everything is about politics, 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 politics. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, didn't mean <laughs> Uh, mayoral race, aldermanic races, politics, 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 politics. You know, the funny thing is, I mean, I, I, I get all into this stuff. I love politics. I love Chicago politics. I've been following it obsessively for, uh, ever, uh, my distinguished guest. She hasn't been following it as long as I, only because she hasn't lived as long as I am. But one day she will have followed it as long as I am. She's obsessed with politics too. But I just want to point out, that only 35% of the people will vote in the city of Chicago in this next coming election. That blows my mind. Every now and then I'm walking down the lake and I'm like thinking to myself, only 35% of the people. Everybody else is so cut off and alienated and isolated. Oh, my Lord. Anyway, that's a topic for another day. Uh, but uh, the story that uh, is on my mind right now is one that all, so many listeners are sending to me. It's funny. Everybody's sending it to me because they're all my listeners are political junkies as well. Uh, shout out Greg Pratt, good friend of the show, Gregory Pratt, ace reporter for the uh, Chicago Tribune uh, with the story that Pat Dow, Alderwoman Pat Dow, the third ward, uh, has broken ranks with Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Lori Lightfoot has endorsed Brandon Johnson. Uh, for uh, Mayor of City Chicago. I saw that story, Distinguished Guest, I almost passed out. I'm like, God dang. I've never seen a mayor lose so much support ever. And I've been following mayors for a long time. And um, so the mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, when she was uh, sworn in, stitched together a coalition of supporters in the Chicago City Council, uh, most of whom, or many of whom, were awarded for their loyalty to Mayor Lori Lightfoot by being uh, named chairs of various committees and we've talked about it we just had Mark, matt martin on the show um a chair of committee means you get a few extra patronage jobs you get the gavel at a committee hearing get to hit the gavel on that you know alderman will do a lot to whack that gavel hold that gavel <laughs> danny solis man i remember him he was like when mayor uh, daly got to go to the bathroom danny got to hold a gavel i never saw him so happy when he held that gavel so anyway, uh, Pat Dahl was the budget chair, or is the budget chair, yeah, which, which is a really important um, committee, and yet she's endorsing uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and it's just, Mayor Lori Lightfoot declared war on the aldermen and women of Chicago in her inauguration speech in 2019. Uh, at the time, I thought she really overplayed her hand. It was unnecessary. Uh, she went after aldermanic prerogative. This is me speaking, not my distinguished guest. She went after aldermanic prerogative, which is a made-up issue. And my beloved lefties have bought into it as much as anyone else. So come on, lefties. You're smarter than that. Uh, aldermen are elected by the people of their wards, and they should, they should have a major say in what goes on in their wards. Uh, and then they hold, are held uh, accountable for it by the voters. 
but I absolutely would much prefer to have my alderman. And I, I love Matt Martin. He's my alderman. But I would have said the same thing about Eugene Schulter. I'd much rather have my local alderman be the one who makes a decision than some bureaucrat downtown who's loyal to the mayor. At least I can hold my alderman accountable. My alderman lives in the ward, so he, in this case a he, but it could be a she, has to deal with the people on an everyday basis. I will never understand why people bought into this notion, this non-existent, fictitious notion that aldermen have more power than the mayor on zoning matters and are responsible for everything that's wrong when it comes to zoning, tiffs, etc. So um, she gave that speech, she waged that war, and here we are four years later, and all the people that she, uh, not all, uh, many of the people uh, that uh, she aligned with and gave them or signed off on them being chairs of committees are now abandoning her, and Pat Dow of the Third Ward is just the latest. All right, that's the breaking news. Shout out Greg Pat Pratt uh, one more time. Uh, outstanding job as always. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself because we got a lot to talk about. So the distinguished guest, introduce yourself. This is Rosana Rodriguez. Um, I am the elder woman of the 33rd Ward, and I am here speaking from Albany Park, Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Rosanna, thank you so much for returning to the show. Good friend of the show, and everybody knows I love Rosanna. Uh, so let's just get that out of the way. Um, all right. A lot to talk about. You're running for re-election against a Richard Mell uh, ally. And uh, Richard Mell, of course, uh, the longtime alderman of the 33rd Ward. Just want to remind people that uh, he was the alderman uh, throughout. Uh, he was one of the leaders in the fight against Harold Washington back in the 1980s. I'm just telling you who he is, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at the messenger. Uh, and uh, he was allied with Ed Burke and Edward Doyak. Uh, his son-in-law is Rod Blagojevich, the former uh, governor of Illinois, the, that, the governor who went to federal prison and then was a let go uh, federal prison uh, by um, Donald Trump and is now a leading supporter of Donald Trump uh, in the state of Illinois. Uh, so if anybody is responsible for the career of Rob Bogoyevich, of course, is Richard Mell, and then Bogoyevich turned on Mel. That's a whole other story. Uh, and then Mel, when he's had enough of being a council loyal ally of Mayor Daley, uh, including uh, signing on to uh, the uh, infamous parking meter sale. Uh, he decided, ah, I had enough. I'm going to turn it over to my daughter. And Rosanna Rodriguez defeated that daughter uh, in 2019. So the Mel organization is out to knock Rodri uh, Rosanna Rodriguez out of the box. That's how I see it, Rosanna. Uh, and uh, pretty much, it, to me, anybody who runs against you, is a, it's basically Dick Mel running against you. That's how I see it. Your thoughts? I mean, I agree. <laughs> um, so what is happening here is um, that Dick Mel wants back in the game. I think that he wants to continue to be relevant uh, in politics. So he has joined forces with several actors. And some of the things that have happened lately have been like re really incredible. Um, he has joined forces with uh, Iris Martinez, the uh, Cook County Clerk of the Court. And George Cardenas, uh, who now is a commissioner for the Board of Review. Um, these, these, these people are probably some of the most corrupt and morally bankrupt people in Chicago politics. And I'm not scared to say that out loud because it's true. I have seen them act. I, I see how they behave. Um, and I, I, I am disgusted to, you know, because of what I'm seeing. In the last week, something really interesting happened. Um, George Cardenas contacted um, who he thought was the person that was running against uh, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa in the 35th. The person running against Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who is not lo no longer on the ballot because he couldn't um, get the, the amount of signatures required, He's a character and he says all sorts of right wing things. So he became somebody that people on Twitter were trolling. Uh, so there was several fake accounts with his name on them. George Cardenas decided to DM to, to, to message one of these accounts, thinking that it was Carlos' opponent to offer him help. And the person played along. So George Cardenas connected this person with Dick Mel. 
And then a series of conversations ensued, offering help to who they thought was Richie, the, the person running against Carlos. Now, I think um, it, what's interesting about this is that people like George Cardenas are very careful about not putting things in writing, but all of a sudden there is this trail of messages, not only through the, the, the direct mailbox on Twitter, but also emails offering help to this person. And of course, at some point, the conversation turned to how he felt about some other races. And he said, George Cardenas said, I am supporting Sammy Martinez for 33rd Ward. Um, so now, and he offered very concrete electoral advice, who he should be targeting with mailers, go negative from day one, all of those things he was saying um, with the 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 advice to 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 Richie. So we have known that this is true. We have known that Dick Mel has been knocking on doors for Sammy Martinez. Um, now we also know that not only is Sammy backed by Dick Mel and George Cardenas and Iris Martinez, who um, during the petition process, there was about 23 people that work for Iris at the clerk of the court. They were petitioning for Sammy Martinez. They were out in full force. Uh, I had an aldermanic forum this week and half of the people there <laughs> at least came from Iris Martinez office. They don't live in the ward. They just came to support Sammy at the forum. Uh, most of them don't live in the ward, maybe two or three live in the ward. Um, but now we also know that he has been taking contributions from people like Alex Pisios, right? The owner of Cinespace, who is now collaborating with the FBI to prevent going to prison um, for fraud. So this is, you know, this is what it looks like for the machine to continue to, um, to try to hold power in, in the city of Chicago. Um, and, and that's what we are up against here in the 33rd ward right now. Yeah. Well, it's, um, I've known Mel, Dick Mel for a long time. As I told you the last time we were on the show, uh, we're, I guess we're considered frenemies. Um, and, uh, it's personal with Mel. You beat his daughter, so he's going to beat you. And that's all there is to it. And when you defeated his daughter, you didn't come back to him going, Oh, well, I love you, Mr. Mel. <laughs> Please. Can we be friends? Let's be friends. Like the song says, but, uh, so. Uh, so f folks in the 33rd Ward just know what you're uh, dealing with here. Uh, all right, let's move on from Dick Mel uh, and uh, the politics of the 33rd Award, and we'll talk about a couple of issues, although I think Mel will be on my mind with the first issue. Let's start with Commonwealth Edison. Uh, and this one, this, this, this one, Rosanna, I just like, <laughs> this city just always, I just... Every week is like a Chicago, <laughs> it's like a birthday gift. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and I said this the other day on the show, Chicago n never wants to learn from its mistakes, ever. Just wants to keep repeating the same old mistakes. And so in particular, uh, I'm talking about uh, allowing time for the aldermen and women to carefully review a very important proposal by the mayor and to do so as much as possible uh, without the pressure of re-election so that we can be reasonably assured. God, I'm laughing at myself for saying this because it sounds so naive. We could be reasonably assured that whatever idea has floated out of the mayor's office for whatever reason is in the best interest of the people of the city of Chicago. And I have watched all these years one dumb idea after another being advanced by the mayor's office, be it Mayor Richard M. Daly, Mayor Rahm, now Mayor Lori Lightfoot. But mainly I'm talking about Daly and Rahm because then it would get immediately embraced by Mel and O'Connor and Burke and all the other rubber stampers who then would go before the reporters and tell the people of the city of Chicago how great the mayor is, what a great idea this is, how we have to pass it immediately. And if anybody dares to say anything critical of it, they're just a bunch of what? 
wackos, Luno, Looney Tunes, etc., and so forth. And then we end up with the parking meter. You just said particularly daily and rum, but Lori has been exactly the same thing. Like there is no difference. I am telling you, there is no difference. And it is sad because I think that a lot of people actually believe that it was going to be different um, under Lori Lightfoot and that she was coming to do something different. But she essentially said, now it's my turn to do what they did and using identity to sort of further the idea that, okay, now it's my turn and they did it. So I get to do it as well. And that's what she is doing with this Comet deal. They briefed us this week and I was appalled <laughs> by, by what I heard. They were selling, oh, it's a hundred million, you know, to, to help with the climate action plan, a hundred million. And they're, they're selling us, they're, they're selling this to us. Like it's this historical, you know, agreement. And I asked them, do you have a sense of how much profit is Comet going to be making out of this deal in the next 15 years? Because it's a 15-year deal. And they, they couldn't answer the question, right? Because $100 million is it's, it's pennies <laughs> when you look at the, at the actual profit. Like, I think that they pay like $200 million just in fines. So... Putting a hundred million down is is nothing. But I think the most interesting part of the briefing ban was that they told us that the city would preserve the right to municipalize after five years. But they they did an analysis and they told us that it was not viable. So during the briefing, I did tell them, well, I don't think that the idea of municipalization is actually something that any of you is taken seriously. And I think that the reason why this is here is because it is a language that could sway some of us who have been fighting for municipalization to say yes to this deal. But Comet is not going to sign for a deal if they know that there is actually a possibility of municipalization. Like that would be dumb to believe that. But then in a moment that we have seen so many scandals associated with Comet, why would we sign a 15-year deal with that company? Why? It makes zero sense. Um, so, I, I, I mean, the mayor doesn't have the support to pass this deal right now. Um, it was sent to rules in the, in the last uh, uh, council meeting this past Wednesday. Um, and I, I really doubt that it is going to be able to, to, to be executed at all. Well, at that council meeting, uh, when it was uh, sent to rules, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot lashed out at the council for sending it to rules. I forget the exact words that she used, uh, but she, she made it seem as like the council uh, was acting out of hand. And then there was just a, a flurry of parliamentary uh, maneuvers by the mayor, uh, Andre Vasquez, the 40th Ward Alderman, uh, and it turned into a sideshow, like it always does in the city council, where they start fighting over like these bizarre Robert Rules of Ro Order procedure that nobody who, other than the 50 aldermen, and <laughs> can understand what's going on. And I began by talking about how only 65% of the, I mean, 35% of the people will vote, 65% won't vote, and this is part of the reason. Like you turn everything in, not you, but it tur the the city council turns absolutely everything, whether they want to or not, into a weirdo, twisted sideshow that has nothing to do with the issue at stake. And the issue at stake is, are we going to be paying a reasonable amount of money for something that we all need? You know, we need electricity. And everybody in the city of Chicago is not wealthy. So we cannot just pay more and more. And it's basically a flat tax, essentially. Everybody's going to pay the same amount, rate, you know, whether you're wealthy or not. And instead, uh, Rosanna, what we have is like, you're out of order. No, you're out of order. No, this is the ruling from the chair. And, <laughs> and so Dave Glowatz and I will have a field day analyzing and trying to make sense of it. But in the reality, it's so it, it's just such a diversion from the central issue. Go ahead, your response. 
It is. I mean, but the rubber rules of order is just the way that we are able to conduct meetings, particularly because there is this tension between the power of the mayor and the power of council, right? And because we don't really have a constitution in the city of Chicago, we act mostly on tradition, right? Um, and, and the way that city council has been wired traditionally, creating a culture of absolute power from the mayor that all, you know, that most aldermen have been happy to uphold if it actually helps them to keep their seats. Um, so the, so the rules of order and th that we use is, are, are the, essentially the, the ammunition that everybody has to be able to fight for their, for their, for, to defend their points, right? So sending something to rules, for example, it is one of the few tools that we, that we have in order to stall something that the mayor is trying to push down our throats, right? This is something that she does constantly with our legislation. If she doesn't want something to move, she's going to tell one of his committee chairs or one of her allies to send our legislation to rules. I have a lot of legislation in the committee of rules that I've never seen the light of day. So even though it is not something that allow us to have conversations about really important matters, we do know that she has way more power than we have. So then a lot of these little rules we have to use as, 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 as weapons in order to be able to, to stop, um, to stop, to stop it from, from, from happening, to stop, um, some of those, some of those things from happening. No, I understand exactly, uh, the parliamentary maneuvers, uh, uh, that are being, that are, uh, at play. And I know why. Uh, people use them. I think that uh, you're playing the game as the game is played. And I want my lefties to play the game as the game is played. I want progressive people to be in the game. And this is this is our city. Uh, I'm just pointing out how absurd it is. That oh, yeah, it is. It is. Just it, the concept of is. the Rules Committee. You have a mm -hmm. standing committee whose his the purpose of his existence is to be a garbage can where you dump things that probably people want, but the mayor doesn't want. And so you have to have a chair of the Rules Committee who makes sure that once it gets dumped there, it never sees the light of day. So you could have a discussion on Commonwealth Edison in the Rules Committee. You don't have to have it in, like, I don't know, the whatever, utility committee. You can have it anywhere. You could bring in experts. You could have the analysis. You can have the discussion. But, no, you get sent to rules precisely because the chairman or the chairwoman of the Rules Committee knows that she has to sit on it and not do anything about it. So now you have... Now the mayor's mad because Andre Vasquez did to her what she... Rom and Daly have been doing to people like Andre Vasquez for year yes. after year after year. You are totally so. right. The difference is, Ben, that my legislation is not going to see the light of day when it goes to rules. Her legislation will, because the chair of rules is going to schedule a meeting to send her legislation to the right committee, and a hearing will be scheduled because her IGA team is the one that schedules the hearings of our committees, our committees. Our body, who is supposed to work independently, it is her IGA team that sets up the hearings. And if she doesn't want a hearing on something, we're not going to have a hearing. And it is, I can count maybe with my, with, with half of my hand, <laughs> the instances in, we, in which we actually have had hearings on things that she doesn't want to have hearings because we have had to push so hard in order to, in order to do that. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I do get it that, you know, sometimes watching, um, the live stream of the, <laughs> of the meeting or, or even witnessing it, right. is frustrating because a lot of times we don't know what's happening at the beginning. I didn't know what was happening either. <laughs> My first few months in city council were really overwhelming. Cause I was like, wait, what is happening? Um, I learned quick though. <laughs> and now I play the game too. And, and I do everything that I can to, to ensure that we are going to, to see legislation. And, and, um, it has actually, been interesting because in my journey in city council, as you were saying before, the idea that, you know, aldermen can be more accountable to the smaller sections of the community that they represent, right? 
um, for me, I am a movement elected and I do everything with people. Like I don't go to city council on my own. I don't make up legislation that nobody asked me to, you know, I, I am working with community organizations. I'm working with movement. I'm working with unions just to advance, um, our goals of, of good lives for everybody. And, uh, a lot of the things that we have been able to do, we have been able to do because we have made so much noise. So for example, and I wanted to talk to you about this, actually, I don't know if I can go, I can take a, a throw a curveball here, but, but we were talking about treatment, not trauma, not long ago. And I think that you, um, you talked about that, uh, a few shows ago, um, for, I think it was the first Aldermanic Forum you talked about Brandon and Brandon bringing up his ideas of safety. And he talked about treatment of trauma and he talked about the mental health clinics. So treatment of trauma is my legislation. I introduced it in 2020 and we have been making so much noise about it that now it has become part of every Aldermanic Forum. They talk about treatment, not trauma. And treatment, not trauma hasn't gotten a hearing. We haven't had a hearing. <laughs> We've not had a hearing, but we have made so much noise that it has become a staple issue to talk about in every aldermanic forum because it's so important. And the idea is simple, is that we are using 911 for everything right now. How about we actually create structures of care that are reliable, that allow you to not have to call the police or 911 for somebody that is experiencing a mental health emergency or to prevent mental health emergencies. So for example, you can have community-based support teams that are monitoring all of the areas that are where people are likely to go into crisis because of their material conditions, because they have, uh, because there are drug users, because they're intoxicated, because they're homeless. We know where those people are in our communities. How about you monitor them, figure out what is it that they need, pay attention to them, and you can actually prevent those crises. And you don't have to call 911. You don't have to call the police on them, right? How about we have 24-hour walking crisis centers? All you have to do is expand a little bit of the staffing of the current clinics that we have. And then you have somewhere to take people that is not a police station and it is not an ER. You can actually offer people the support that they need and figure out what are the next steps. How about we expand the care pilot that we were able to, to, to get the mayor, force the mayor to do because she didn't want to do it, but we made enough noise that she had to. How about we expand that pilot so that we have clinicians and EMTs uh, respond to some of these emergencies that come through 911 so that there is not an armed officer um, triggering somebody that is already in crisis. This is what treatment, not trauma is. And we have already proposed a way to pay for it. Uh, so when Brandon talks about it and other people as well in the Aldermanic forums, they are talking about something that is completely possible. It doesn't even take that much money and it could save us loss of life. It could save us loss of money in lawsuits that we know that we pay way too much of it uh, through the Chicago Police Department with every settlement that we have to pay for. Um, and it would actually make people safer. Now, just so I make sure I understand you correctly, uh, you had a proposal that you submitted to the city council and it was sent to the rules committee. Am I correct in that? No, it's currently, no, it, it is not in the rules committee. It is actually in the health and human relations committee, but it hasn't gotten a hearing yet. We're waiting for one. And who's the chair health committee? Who uh, is Roderick Sawyer. He, he committed that he was going to give me a hearing. The thing is that as I told before, and as Rod has said himself, it is the mayor's IGA that sets hearings. You can push and you can like go hard, but it is it is the mayor's IGA team and the mayor who decide what is seen and what is not. And it depends if the chair wants to go hard and say, we're going to do this. And I think that Rod has been able to do that with a couple of things, but he has been fought really hard too. Um because we don't have our own, you know, IGA to like organize our own things. Uh, IGA so, stands for what? Intergovernmental affairs. Yeah. So, Chicago, yeah. you're getting a little lesson here about how the city council work. That makes absolutely no sense. Rod Sawyer is. No, it doesn't make any sense. But they interfere with our business all the time and, and they essentially run it. And that is how it has 
it has been for, you know, for a very long time. That's how it was under Daly. That's how it was under Ram. And the mayor has been very vocal in saying that she needs to continue to be the one appointing chairs and she needs to continue running that process because it works. It doesn't. It doesn't well, at all. So I need to know this because first time I've ever heard this, uh, I've been around forever. And I, it's the first time I've heard it. So can a chair of a committee, uh, he or she, does he or she have the authority uh, with without the mayor's approval to bring a matter up before that committee? Yes, you can totally do that. The thing is that you're going to, you're going to, you're going to fight. Like there is no way for a chair to schedule a hearing that the mayor doesn't want without having to fight the mayor. Right. So you get into a, a, a big fight with the mayor over whether you can have a hearing over treatment, uh, not trauma. Yeah, and then the other thing that's going to happen is that the mayor is going to make sure that her allies in that committee vote against whatever it is that, <laughs> that you're breaking up. <laughs> so, so, so that is the other part of it, right? Like you are, you, then you have to do the legwork and make sure that you're convincing everybody that this is in the best interest of the city. And it doesn't always work like that. Like even if, even if it is very clear that this is the best thing, it doesn't mean that the allies of the mayor are going to stand with you, which is another, you know, another part of it. Yeah, well, there's another, and she's losing allies left and right, so. Uh, that is I, very true. That is I, very uh, true. This is a very good moment to be discussing yeah. legislation. I, 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 but your point about uh, <laughs> treatment versus, I, I've been to, to a couple of automatic forums and everybody signs on to it. And it's in, and you know this is a, a favorite theme of mine. I just smile when I think about it, uh, Rosanna. Uh, everybody signs on at, at as candidates to the proposals that progressives like you make. Uh, everybody signs on to treatment, not trauma. Everybody signs on to quote unquote TIF reform. Everybody signs on to the Matt Martin. Uh, I call it the Matt Martin proposal to. Uh, let the uh, aldermen determine who chairs committees. Everybody signs on to that when they're a uh, candidate at candidate forms. Oh, I'm for that, they say. And then as soon as they get in the office, they don't do anything. And it's it's comical to a certain degree, you know. It's, it's, it's the subject of humor. But on the other hand, if you want to understand why our city is, in the case of treatment versus trauma, so violent and so angry, and so ready to pull out a gun and shoot each other. I think we should look at the wider consequences. People act baffled, Rosanna, like there's crime in Chicago, as, like, as there hasn't been crime in Chicago forever. And we've never once changed our approach. And when it comes to mental health, like now everybody, I'm for the mental health clinics. But somehow or other, they never opened the mental health clinics. We got one mayor after another. Lori Lightfoot is now telling us the same things that Rom said. Somehow we're offering more mental health service to people, even though we've closed clinics. They say stuff to you, Rosanna, that is so obviously not true, and they expect you to believe it. <laughs> God I want to cry every hearing with the Department of Health that has to do with mental health. I want to cry. They, they just throw like all of these numbers there. We have, we are on track to see 60,000. What did you do with those 60,000 people? What, what was the intervention? Oh, I can tell you that because of, uh, because of confidential. No, you can't tell me that because we need to know how we are using our money. Tell me what were the interventions? I cannot, what? I'm sorry. It is just so disingenuous, but, but, but to your point, because one of the things that you said that I wanted to, that I actually wanted to respond to you when you talked about Brandon uh, and he said, we need to do all of this work with mental health and reopen the clinics and all of this. And you said the reality is that there's not going to be the political will to do that because that costs money. So the proposal that we have right now is to start scaling slowly, scaling up slowly, but meaningfully, because right now what we have is, is nothing, right? So the, the police department carries over vacancies every year and we are not being able to hire police at the rate that they are saying that we need to hire police. Like that, it's just not happening. So if you use, we have probably around 970 vacancies right now just for first year police officers. If you were to use some of those vac vacancies that you are not able to fill out, you could actually hire clinicians, 
case managers, EMTs, um, and, um, and support workers that could actually scale up these structures of care, try them out. If it don't work, you can return them. But I know it's going to work because it's being used in other cities and it's working. <laughs> and we're starving for it. We need these supports in our communities. You can, you can do so much good. And for some reason, there is like this wall, you know, that doesn't let us see that the direction of care is a path that we need to embrace. We need to be able to care for our communities. And we need to be able to do that from the public sector, which we should probably move into the labor peace agreement so that we can actually talk about the difference between these workers that we're talking about that would actually get decent salaries, a pension, a union, and all of these, all of these super important things that are good for their lives in order for them to care for our communities, which the nonprofit workers don't really have right now. So if you want, we can move on. Right, into we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move in, uh, we'll move into that. But before we do, uh, I just want to ask one uh, question for, of you and get your thoughts on this. We will get into that labor peace agreement and get you to explain that. Cause that apparently was quite a, uh, a meeting, uh, earlier this week. So, uh, pretty much every candidate I've had on this show, mayoral candidate, uh, has said they want, the Chicago City Council to be uh, more independent-minded uh, and to be more of a check and a balance. So when a mayor, mayoral candidate says that, essentially the way the dynamics of Chicago politics, they're arguing against what has been perceived by mayors as in their best interest because mayors like to be able to do what they want. And if the city council uh, is more independent, then the mayors will have less latitude to do what they want. And yet, it's sort of like aldermanic candidates saying they support Rosanna's treatment, not trauma policy. Okay? They all say it. Brandon Johnson has said it. Cam Buckner has said it. Sophia King has said it. Uh, and um, I've heard uh, Jesus Garcia say it. He hasn't been on my show. And I've heard, uh, I don't think I know if I've heard Paul Vallis say it, but I've heard pretty much, that's a lot of candidates who <laughs> said it. Yeah, I don't see it coming from Paul Vallis because he's, he learned his tricks. He was with the daily administration, but whatever. Uh, so do you believe him? Do you believe uh, that we're going to be in a situation where we actually have a mayor uh, who will allow the city council uh, more independence? Um, I, I believe that that could be the case with some of the candidates. I believe that Brandon Johnson would be um, a, a very collaborative mayor. Um, I believe that a Cam Buckner could be a very collaborative mayor. Um, if we get another four years of Lori, it's probably going to be worse. <laughs> I do not believe that Paul Vallas would be a very collaborative mayor. Um, I, but I think more in general, I would say some of us came into city council and we said, this is what we're going to do. This is our vision. This is what we're going to fight for. And we have been fighting for it for the four years and we're running on continuing to fight for those things. So when I see myself, when I see Carlos, when I see Jeanette, when I see many of my colleagues that are there and that have not, <laughs> have not given up, right? Um, I, I have to believe that people are able to stick to their word. Um, I don't want to become cynical. I really don't because it, it is a place that I, I just don't want to inhabit ever as long as I am doing this work. Uh, so if Brandon tells me that he's going to do that, I'm going to take his word. I'm going to believe that he's going to do it. Lori already said that she's going to do it. She didn't do it. So I don't have any reason to believe that she will because I, I saw how she acted. I saw how Paul Vallas have acted, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I, I have organized with Brandon. I have seen what he has done. And so far, I have no reason to believe that he wouldn't do that. Um, yeah. Well, I uh, before we leave, I always say I am not a cynical person. People always go, Ben, you're the most cynical person ever met. And I, I, I am not a cynical person. I could not do this if I were a cynical person. 
I am really a naive person. <laughs> so <laughs> when people tell me things, I believe them. And then they, then they don't do what they say they're going to do. And that's when I'm like, wow, man, you took advantage of me. Uh, and, and part of the reason why I always say uh, I'm a big fan of Rosanna is because she tried to do everything she said she was going to do. And uh, as I always say, I don't agree with every 100% of what she says. I might be 99.9%. Ah, I like, love if that. You, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you follow up and you do what you say you're going to do and you don't like betray the pr- principles that you supposedly had that got you to run in the first place, then, I mean, that's about as good as it gets in Chicago politics. But so many Chicago politicians... They say what they have to say to get elected. They memorize their script. They tailor it to who they're talking to. And then once in office, they open up the window and throw out everything they supposedly believe in. And guess what? That's why we are where we are. And so I want to, I'm like you, I want to believe, you know what I mean? I, uh, I do, I'm a skeptical person, but I'm not a cynical person. Okay. That's exactly it. I am too. That's exactly it. And I can be very sarcastic in my humor, but I, but I, I, I never want to, I never want to fall into cynicism. So I, yeah, we need to keep going. We need to keep going. We need to keep building. We also need to keep believing that people are going to show up. We need to keep believing that people are going to organize, that people are going to raise their voices because without that, we can't really do the work that we want to do because power is not just going to give these things to us. You know, we're always going to have to fight for them, but the difference is when we fight alone in there as politicians and when we fight alongside movements that raise their voices, that organize, that, uh, that make sure that they are educating people, that they make sure they're giving people information. And, and that's the way that we have been able to get to the point that we are right now with treatment of trauma and, and, and other campaigns. Um, the labor peace agreement, Ben, <laughs> this week, uh, we had a hearing of the Committee on uh, Workforce Development, uh, a joint committee of workforce development uh, that is chaired by uh, Chairwoman uh, uh, Susan uh, Satlowski Garza and, um, and Health and Human Relations, uh, which is chaired by Roderick Sawyer. Um, we had a, he- a subject matter hearing. We didn't take a vote, and it was to discuss a labor peace agreement um, that establishes something very simple, that big uh, nonprofit organizations in the city of Chicago that receive money from the city and that have a budget of over a million dollars a year um, cannot invest money on union busting efforts. You cannot do anti-union organizing. You cannot hire uh, anti-union firms um, to uh, intimidate or or threaten uh, efforts to organize in the workplace. And I think that this is really important because a lot of workers in the nonprofit sector that are actually tasked with um, caring for people because our structures of care, our publicly run structures of care have been completely defunded. So we don't really have uh, a robust systems of care in place. We don't do a lot of direct care from government. The Department of Family and Support Services in Chicago is essentially a bank. We just get money and take it, like get it out to nonprofits. Same with um, the, the, the Department of Public Health. So uh, the idea is Chicago is a union town. If you want money from the city, don't union bust. And what happened in that hearing was really outrageous. We had leaders from lots of nonprofit organizations that showed up to fight a labor peace agreement. And we were trying to understand like what their problem with it was, because if you are committed to not union bust, then you don't have to fight this. It doesn't take any money. We're not asking them to invest any money. They just have to say, we are not going to union bust. We're not going to hire, we're not going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in lawyers that are going to, um, to, you know, wave an anti-union campaign or anti-unionization campaign. Um, 
At some point, Daniel Espada asked them what part of the ordinance they were opposed to. And the answer was, we have to get back to you. So these organizations, the leadership showed up to fight against an ordinance that establishes a labor peace agreement and they could not tell us what is it that they disagreed with. And the the hearing was a bunch of really anti-union talking points. Um, somebody from Heartland Alliance was talking about how difficult things are now their workforce is unionized. <laughs> um, it was really disheartening, but it was really good to see so many of my colleagues show up and be like, nope, we are not doing this. No. And uh, I, did they didn't articulate a reason other than what it's difficult to deal with a unionized workforce. I mean, I think what, what they what were, they were saying that they didn't want, essentially they didn't want to encourage unionization because what they say is that they don't have enough money to pay people what they deserve. So they don't want them to unionize, but it was, <laughs> you, they, they, the whole hearing was saying the quiet part out loud. <laughs> it, was, it was a whole hearing of saying the quiet part out loud. And it was, it was incredible. And it, I love that we had that hearing because it actually made us confront the reality that we are addressing some of our biggest and hardest issues right now, which are social and human service issues through a non-unionized, exhausted, exploited workforce in the nonprofit organizations that have no say over how services are delivered. And that's a problem. It is unsustainable and we need to address it. So it was really good to have that, that, um, that hearing. It was a subject matter hearing. I am really hoping that we are going to vote on it soon and that it will become the law in Chicago. Now, excuse my, uh, just help, excuse my ignorance, subject matter hearing. Uh, what exactly does that mean? A subject matter hearing is a really funny trick that is used <laughs> in Chicago politics to not take a vote. So when a chair, it is, it is another layer, right? So if they agree to give you a hearing, right, IGA will say, okay, we'll give you a hearing, but it's a subject matter hearing. We're not taking a vote. So it's essentially an opportunity to discuss a matter, bring subject matter experts to the hearing, hear the pros and the cons, but not allow the body to take a vote at that time. So then you have to bring it back for a vote if you want to pass it. So we're, we're sort of ending the interview where we began it. I do not understand and how the mayor's uh, city council lobbyists, that's what IGA are. They're, they're people, paid employees. Uh, and I believe they get a pension uh, if you're a paid employee. So they get pension, uh, which, by the way, uh, the pensions exist because of unions. Just saying that uh, IGA staffers. Uh, they're paid employees of the city of Chicago. So I do not understand why they have the authority to determine uh, what the city council uh, count committees, the type of hearings they have. So they have given us all sorts of arguments like, well, they are the ones who manage the calendar and the schedule so that there is not like one hearing for one thing at one hour. And then there's the same. It, it is ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. I, yeah, some days I just want to cry. And I dream with a time when we will select our chairs based on the interest, expertise that people have in different areas and the will, the willingness that they have to go deep into these issues because we don't have that. I mean, George Cardenas was the chair of the Environmental Protection Committee. So that's, that's where we were at. And that's what, where we have been at. Like this guy received contributions from Matt Asphalt and he was the chair of the so <laughs> Environmental here, Protection and Energy Committee. Here's the cynical part of me. This is the cynical. We will Sometimes have, it has to come out. I'm not saying we, that. We will have <laughs> that moment where uh, a chair stands up to the mayor. When we have a progressive mayor uh, who is standing up for something that most people in the city would want. 
<laughs> in other words, we'll have it when we have the the modern day equivalent of council wars. So suddenly they'll be the chairs of these committees will be proclaiming uh, their independence and how they set the agenda, not the IGA. When the IGA is working for a progressive mayor who wants people to do something. Uh, who wants the city council to pass something that will help most people? That's the cynic in me. I, I apologize for allowing that cynic. I apologize, Rosanna, for allowing that cynic to speak. Uh, Sometimes it has to come out. I, yeah. I, I feel it. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. If you leave it in, then, then it eats you up. You have to let it out. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Rosanna is not only my guest; she's my therapist. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So, uh, all right. So you had the hearing, and uh, they played their cards. They're against unions because I don't know, whatever, whatever reason they're against unions. Who knows? Uh, they rooted when they saw. Well, no, this is an old joke, so I'm not even going to Norma Ray joke. I won't make it because none of my listeners are old enough to know who Norma Ray is anyway. Anyway, so uh, so what's next? Are is there going to be another hearing where you get to vote on this matter? or is Yeah, I believe it's going to be brought uh, up for a vote. This is something that we introduced in 2019 um, uh, in collaboration with AFSCME. And I think that at this point, we are all ready to, to vote on it. Um, one thing that was clear about this subject matter hearing is that they could not articulate what their opposition was. Like usually when you have a subject matter hearing, you have the pro and the con, and then you sort of, you know, weigh what's the best path. But the reality is that they didn't really have anything to say about the actual ordinance besides I don't like it because I don't want my workers to unionize. Well, unionizing is a right. You can't really do anything about it. So, so, um, so I believe that we will have a, 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 a hearing soon, um, probably in March. I'm not sure yet um, uh, what the what the timeline is going to be, but I, I am pretty certain that this is going to pass before the term is over. Okay. All right. Listen, my next guest is calling me. Where are you? Where are you? Uh, so uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to uh, close down this great conversation uh, with you, Rosanna. Uh, and uh, thank you once again for coming on the show. Uh, and hope to be having many, many more conversations like this with you in the future. Uh, so best of luck to you. All right. Thank you for having me, Ben. Great to be here. All right. That's a great Rosanna Rodriguez. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.